May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Hey, uh, welcome to Parkway Fellowship. My name is Ryan Loxmo. I'm the small groups pastor here. And I want to welcome our North Campus as well, joining us via video. Really glad that you're with us today. Um, Five years ago, I was a full-time PhD student at a university. And uh, when I was there, I worked as a part of my program, part-time as a TA, and so I would uh, be a teaching assistant in different classes. And one of the classes that I assisted with was an undergraduate class on Jesus. Now, this was a secular university, so plenty of the students in that class were not Christians or were from a different uh, religious background. And I'll never forget, one day after class, a student came up to me, and she asked me, did Jesus really say that he's the only way to be saved? Did he really say that? And she said it like that too, like that's hard to believe that he would say that because in her view, she saw Jesus as this kind of loving, inclusive person. And so the fact that he would say something so exclusive just seemed mind boggling to her. And her question was a nice snapshot of kind of modern attitudes toward religion, okay? Whatever's true for you, is true. Uh, There's no such thing as something that's true for everyone at all times and in all places. Uh, That that can't be true. Uh, No one religion can be right. They're all right in some way. They all kind of tell us something about God. Uh, It would be arrogant to think that only one religion is right, so whatever's good for you is good. I mean, this kind of thinking is everywhere. Uh, You might even buy into it on some level without even realizing it. But why is it that more and more people view religion as kind of this highly personal thing and that all religions are essentially the same is such a believable lie? Why, why is that? Well, I think there's a few reasons. First of all, uh, nobody wants to be judgmental. You know, nobody wants to say, I'm right and you're wrong. And so people blur the lines between the religions to kind of keep everybody happy. Uh, also, you might have a friend or a family member who believes something else, believes a different religion, and you like them a lot. You think they're a great person and you don't wanna have to tell them or think that what they believe is wrong. It's also easy to believe the lie that all religions are essentially the same because there are some similarities between the religions. I mean, most religions believe in a god or some sort of divine being. Most uh, religions have some form of moral code that people are supposed to follow. Um, Most religions have some type of ritualistic behavior, okay? So there are some basic similarities. But those similarities are superficial at best. Let me illustrate this for you. I have here two white pills, okay? They look the same. They smell the same. They weigh the same. I mean, they basically seem the same. But what if I were to tell you that this one is aspirin and this one is arsenic? Well, okay. Then you see that where it really counts, they're completely different. And in fact, when you know that, their basic similarities become irrelevant. It doesn't matter that they're the same color and size and texture or anything like that. The key differences are what matter. And so, Uh, What I'm not going to do actually this morning is like list out every single world religion and what they believe and compare and contrast. There's really not time for that. I'm instead going to highlight for you what makes Christianity unique, Uh, what makes it unique, and what makes it trustworthy as true. And that's the key key point. Uh, Because if we don't understand that, if we don't understand 
what makes Christianity unique, we're at great risk in failing in our effort to share Christ with the world. I mean, that's a big risk we take. If we truly believe what the Bible teaches about Christ, then what most of the world believes is good for them is actually not good for them. They need to hear the gospel, the truth about Christ. And if we buy in even a little bit into this thinking that all religions are essentially the same, then we will have no urgency about sharing Christ with the world. And if we allow our kids to accept this teaching, to to believe that all religions are kind of true in some way, we're actually teaching them that nothing is true. Because truth just becomes whatever you prefer. And by the way, when our kids head off to college, they're going to be bombarded with this thinking. Bombarded. I mean, the idea that all religions are essentially the same is gonna be uh, just everywhere. I mean, they're gonna be hearing this kind of thing from friends, they're gonna be hearing it from really smart professors, they're gonna read it in textbooks. The idea that one religion is right and all the rest are wrong is gonna made to be seem outdated, judgmental, small-minded, immature, and the view that all religions are true in some way is, by contrast, going to be made to seem enlightened and mature, and people around them are going to be thinking that. And in fact, I would say that probably, especially if you have kids in high school, they're already dealing with this question now. They're going to be bombarded with it when they head off to college. And so we have to be able to address this believable lie that all religions are essentially the same so that we can be motivated to impact the world for Christ and prepare the next generation when they go out and they encounter this thinking in the world. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. Let's find out, what makes Christianity so unique? What makes Christianity so unique? Uh, Number one, and this is on your fill-in, the Bible is a verifiable source of truth. The Bible is a verifiable source of truth. Now, I'm gonna spend a good amount of time on this first point, and it's gonna be a little bit more academic than we're used to here on on Sunday morning, so just hang with me, okay? The the subject requires us to delve in pretty deeply into some details, so I'm gonna be in like full Bible nerd mode here, okay? So you just have to go with me, find your inner geek, and just go with me on this deal, okay? Most religions have a text, a religious text, a book or a set of books that are viewed as divine in origin. And this fact has been used by some to perpetuate the idea that all religions are essentially the same. Because look, all these religions have these books that are divine and that's just kind of a common thing that religions have. But if you look closely, you'll see that the Bible is unlike any other book in history and not like any other religious text in existence. They can't even really be compared. Uh, For example, the Quran is the holy book for Islam. It was written by the prophet Muhammad over a 23-year period in the 600s AD, uh, so about six centuries after Christ. And so in this case, you have one man, Muhammad, claiming God spoke to him. He wrote down what God supposedly said, and people believed him. The same is true with Mormonism. In 1820s, Joseph Smith claimed that God spoke to him, and he wrote down what God said. That became the Book of Mormon, and uh, people believed it, even though nobody could verify his story. L. Ron Hubbard wrote Dianetics in the 1950s, which became the primary text of Scientology. One man wrote one book at one time, and people believed it. The same is true for the teachings of Buddha and many other religions. Are you seeing a pattern here? One person, one place, one time, people believe it. 
The Bible, on the other hand, is a completely different story. The Bible was written over the course of more than 1,500 years by dozens of authors from different cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of its writings were composed by poor prophets, others by wealthy kings. Some were written by spiritual leaders, traveling evangelists, others by working class people like fishermen and doctors. The writings spanned hundreds of years and were written in places like Rome, Greece, Turkey, Israel, and Iraq. It was also written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. In some, and this is your fill-in, the Bible was written in a variety of places, by dozens of authors, in three different languages, over the course of centuries. The Bible was written in a variety of places, by dozens of authors, in three different languages, over the course of centuries. And the truly miraculous thing is that in spite of all of that diversity, the Bible has one unified message. From Genesis to Revelation, God creating humanity to be in a relationship with him and ultimately providing a permanent way to accomplish that through Jesus Christ. Do you see how different that is from other religious texts of one person, one place, one time? It's not even remotely the same thing. On top of that, there's a vast amount of historical and archaeological evidence that lends credibility to the Bible. Okay, let me give you just a highlight reel of a few of these historical and archaeological discoveries that support the Bible. Starting with this, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, and they lived there for many centuries, and then they escaped from Egypt, and they had conflict with Egypt over the years. And there was the feeling in the scholarly community for a long time that Maybe that didn't actually happen because there was no evidence outside of the Bible that the Israelites ever were in Egypt or had any conflict with Egypt. Well, guess what? The archaeologists discovered what's called the Merneptah Stella, which is an ancient Egyptian stone historical record from the 13th century BC. And guess what? It mentions the existence of the people of Israel and the fact that Egypt had conflict with them at the time the Bible describes it happened. This is an Egyptian historical record. It's not part of the Bible. It's outside of the Bible. And it supports what the Bible said. How about this? King David from the Bible, the famous king who defeated the giant Goliath. Uh, There was a long time people thought he might have been a fictional character because there was no evidence of his existence outside of the Bible. Well, guess what? Archaeologists discovered what is called the Tel Dan Stella, which is a uh, stone historical record by another people group, not the Israelites, who basically were chronicling what was going on at their time, and they mentioned the house of David. They literally mentioned that there is, David was a king in Israel, and that there was a line that descended from him that ruled over Israel at that time called the house of David. So you have the name of David carved in stone by another culture outside of the Bible at the time that David was actually ruling. How about this? The Bible describes in 2 Kings how King Hezekiah dug a tunnel under the city of Jerusalem to bring water from a spring outside the city into the city so that people could drink water. And guess what archaeologists found when they dug under the city of Jerusalem? Hezekiah's tunnel, exactly where the Bible said it would be. And there's even a little uh, inscription in the middle of the tunnel where when the workers dug it, they kind of did a little memorial inscription of, hey, we just finished building this tunnel. And it dates from the exact period that the Bible said it did. How about this? Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who executed Jesus, he ordered his crucifixion. There was a time where people weren't sure if he was really true because there wasn't a lot of evidence of his existence outside of the New Testament. Well, 
Archaeologists discovered in Israel from the first century a Latin inscription with the name of Pontius Pilate etched in stone, the governor of Judea, which is what he's called on that stone, which is the exact title he's given in the New Testament. One more. The Pool of Bethesda. It's a place in ancient Jerusalem described in the Gospel of John. There was no evidence that this place was even real until the 1800s. People thought John just made it up. Well, guess what? Archaeologists found the Pool of Bethesda exactly where the Bible described it should be, and it looks exactly like the Bible described it. Okay, now these are some of the key archaeological finds. There are many, 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 many more. But there are also some ancient writers outside of the Bible who support what the Bible said. Check this out. There was a Jewish historian who lived at the time of Jesus. His name was Josephus, okay? And he wrote about Jesus. Now, he was not a Christian. Look what he wrote about Jesus. He wrote, now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man. He was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had him condemned to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. I mean, that is remarkable. Look what he says. This is, he's not a Christian. He's a historian from that era. And he's saying Jesus was a wise man, that he was known to do wonderful works, miracles. He was a teacher. Jews and Gentiles followed him. He was crucified by Pilate. And in spite of being crucified, his followers continued to follow him. That is the exact picture from the New Testament. One more. Tacitus. He was a Roman historian from the first century. He lived at the same time Jesus lived. He was hostile to Christians. He hated Christianity. And look what he wrote. He wrote, their founder, he's talking about Christians, their founder, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius' reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. But in spite of this temporary setback, he's talking about the crucifixion, The deadly superstition had broken out afresh, not only in Judea where the mischief had started, but even in Rome. All degraded and shameful practices collect and flourish in the capital. You hear how insulting he is toward Christians? Superstition, mischief, shameful, degraded? That makes it even more powerful that he corroborated so much of what the Gospels say about Jesus. And look, I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, I could go on and on and tell you about all the thousands of copies of the Bible that we have for centuries proving that we, what we read in our Bibles today is exactly what it used to say in the ancient world right when it was written. The evidence is overwhelming. I mean, do you see how verifiably true the Bible is? It is a lie if somebody tells you the Bible is just some other religious text. It's a lie. It's not true. But let's drop the History Channel thing here for a second, okay? If this is true, that the Bible really is God's word, verified historically through the centuries, what does it mean for us today? Monday through Saturday, in our busy lives, what does it mean? It means we have to take what it says very seriously and apply it to our lives. Look at this passage, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful, circle the word useful, It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You see, the Bible is meant to be read and applied to our lives. I mean, it teaches us, it prepares us. God speaks to us through it. And there are several ways that you can 
take the Bible seriously. And I've got a short list here for you. There are those bullet points on your notes. The first one is make reading the Bible a habit. Make reading the Bible a habit. Okay, that's where it starts. You just gotta read it, and you gotta read it regularly. Uh, but it doesn't end with just reading it. You can't just read it and kind of close the book and put it away. You've gotta do the next thing. Find ways to apply the Bible to my life. Find ways to apply the Bible to my life. Okay, so when you read the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what does this mean for my life this week? Like, what do I take away from this? That, that's the critical step that's often forgotten when people read the Bible. And that's actually why we have next steps every single week here at Parkway Fellowship, is we want God's word to impact how we actually uh, live our lives. But there's another thing, it's your next bullet point. You gotta influence others to value the Bible. Influence others to value the Bible. So that means if you're a parent, that you've gotta make it a priority for your kids to be reading the Bible regularly and look for opportunities to reinforce how unique and powerful and special the Bible is. And actually, that's why our kids and student ministries work so hard to partner with you to prepare you to do that very thing. And in fact, if you go to our website, our kids and student ministries have a huge array of uh, resources available to you on their blogs and stuff. It's great stuff to help you do this exact thing. Uh, But besides your kids, what else? Maybe you lead a small group. If you lead a small group or serve in some other leadership capacity in the church, find ways as often as possible to reinforce how important the Bible is and the centrality of it in our lives. Uh, Maybe you're just a spiritual leader among your friends. Your friends just look to you uh, for guidance. Find ways to talk about the Bible and its importance. Influence others with with that truth. And, And honestly, the best way to do it is just by example. Just read the Bible in your own life, apply it, and then just talk openly about what God is doing in your life. That's a very powerful way to influence other people. And then the last one on your list there, uh, make small group participation a higher priority for my family. A higher priority. Look, at Parkway Fellowship, for you, for your kids and teenagers, a small group is where you dive in deep into the Bible. We cannot do that sufficiently on Sunday morning. We know that. And that's why we have small groups. So if you're in a small group, make attendance a priority. I mean, make that one of the top things on your calendar. And if you're not in a small group, or your kids aren't in a small group, get them in a small group. You can call us at the office, you can stop by the kiosk in the foyer, we'd love to help you find a group that would work for your family, because look, that's a major part of our life as Christ followers, is, and something that makes Christianity unique is we have this verifiable, reliable source of truth. And we're supposed to engage with it in a serious way, an ongoing way in our lives. Okay. What else is unique about Christianity? Number two, we don't earn our way to heaven. We don't earn our way to heaven. Now look, this is truly unique among the world religions. Okay, it absolutely dispels the lie that all religions are essentially the same. Because if you could summarize the belief systems of every other religion outside of Christianity, it would essentially be that you have to climb up the mountain to God. You have to work your way up to him. You have to be good enough. You have to work hard. It's this constant struggle to do more good things than bad things. And you never have any certainty that you're even measuring up. I mean, this is true for Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, paganism. All of them require people to work their way toward God, hoping in the end that they're good enough. But Christianity turns all of that around. The Christian faith is the only one in which God loved us so much that he 
did the work to come down to us. Look at this amazing passage from Philippians 2. It's talking about Jesus. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, and I want you to underline this remarkable phrase, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, underline this, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. You see, God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross. And in doing that, he paid the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So there would be no barrier between us and God. So that we don't have to work our way to heaven. We don't have to try to climb up that mountain and be good, do enough good stuff to get to heaven. That's not the way it works. Jesus came down the mountain to us. He entered into the mess of humanity and provided salvation for all of us and the assurance of that salvation. And if you place your trust in Christ, you can be certain that you have a relationship with God now and that you'll be with him one day in heaven. You going to heaven is not contingent on you being good because Jesus paid your way in. That's the gospel, which by the way means good news. There is no other religion in the world like that. If you'd like to begin a relationship with Christ today and have assurance that you will spend eternity in heaven, uh, there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes on the back side. I'm gonna give you some time at the end of the message to pray that prayer, uh, but I encourage you to do that. God loves you and he's waiting for you to begin a relationship. Okay, what else makes Christianity unique? Number three, Jesus said he's the only way. Jesus said, he's the only way. Look, all religions cannot be essentially the same if Jesus said, he's the only way. I mean, that was the question that the student in my class asked me. Did Jesus really say that he's the only way to be saved? The answer is yes, he did. The Bible makes that point in countless ways, but the most direct way, the classic verse is John 14, six. It says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now there's more than meets the eye here, okay? Uh, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and in the Greek language there's, uh, there are different ways to add emphasis. Uh, to make uh, more words, some words more powerful than usual. And I want you to underline a couple of words in the verse. I want you to underline I am, the first two words. And I want you to underline the very last word of that verse, me. Those words in the original Greek are the forms that add emphasis, okay? So if you could read it in English, the way it would have sounded to a Greek speaker at the time of Jesus, it would have sounded like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said he was the only way, which means that all other religions are wrong. That's what that means. And I'm not being personally judgmental. I'm telling you what Jesus said 
That's what he said. It's a lie to say that all religions are essentially the same when Jesus explicitly said, I'm the only way. But Jesus wasn't saying that so emphatically to exclude people. He was saying it out of his love so that as many people as possible would take him up on the offer. I mean, praise God that Jesus is the only way because his way is open to everybody. I mean, Tim Keller, a famous pastor and author, said it this way, the gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. And that's true. And this amazing truth is not meant to be hoarded by those of us who already know it. We're not supposed to tiptoe around and not tell other people this truth. It is meant to be shared with the world. We're commanded to share it with the world. A world that desperately needs Jesus. That fact should propel you to share Christ with anybody you know who does not know Christ. Because the truth is, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. That is the truth. All religions are essentially the same. That's a lie. It's a common one. It's a believable one. But it is a lie. Christianity offers a verifiable source of truth and a God who loved us enough to come down to us and save us. And that is unparalleled among the world religions. And it offers us a unique life-changing hope. So go ahead and pull out your connection card. Let's take some next steps. How about this first one? Send me some resources to help me learn more about the reliability of the Bible. If you want to know more about that subject or you want to have uh, more resources to equip you to have those conversations, check that next step. I'll send you some more uh, recommended readings and that kind of stuff that you can look at that will, that will even uh, show you more about how much we can trust the Bible is true. How about this second one? I will make a habit of reading the Bible starting this week. Would you do that once and for all? Make it a habit. Start with two days a week, three days a week, and go up from there. But make it a habit. Work it into your routine. You will not regret it, I promise you. How about this next one? I will lead others toward consistent Bible engagement. Whoever you influence, your kids, your friends, coworkers, whoever it is, would you view yourself as a person that leads others toward Bible engagement? Check that box. Make that commitment. How about this next one? I will share the video of this message with the people I influence. Uh, check that box, and when the video of this message is available in the middle of the week, uh, we'll email you and let you know. It'll be on social media, but we'll also email you a link. This message could be a great jumping off point for you and having a conversation with somebody in your life. Uh, so if that's you, check that box, and we'll send you a reminder. How about this next one? Uh, I will make small group participation a higher priority for my family. Would you make that commitment? If your kids aren't in a small group, get them in a small group. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Or if you are, make attendance one of your highest priorities. Would you do that? How about this next one? I will share Christ with people I know who do not know Jesus. Would you make that commitment to live out the truth that Jesus is the only way by taking seriously the command to share Christ with anybody you know who doesn't know Jesus? Would you make that commitment? Start by inviting them to church. It's an easy place to start. How about this next one? I will memorize John 14, 6. It's a classic, classic verse about this very topic. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
And how about this last one? I'll pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time today. If that's you, if you heard the truth of the gospel for the first time today, that Jesus loves you and he died to pay the penalty for all of your sins and that you can spend eternity with him in heaven, I want you to check that next, if you're gonna pray that prayer, check this next step and uh, we'll send you some free information in the mail to help you in your new life following Christ. And then I'm gonna give you some time here, just a second, uh, to pray that prayer. So everybody in here, everybody in the room, I want you to bow your heads. Everybody in here, let's bow our heads together. And I want you to uh, take a few moments and just think about this message and what God has shown you and uh, reflect on the next steps you've taken and just ask that God would change your life. And uh, if you're gonna pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time, uh, this is your chance. So everybody, uh, take a few moments now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you came down to us and rescued us from our sin, that you did the work, you paid our way into heaven and provided a way for us to have a relationship with you, that it's not because of our own good works or trying hard that we get to know you and be with you in heaven, but because of your great love for us, Lord, and that we can rely on you and rely on your truth because You have given us such a verifiable source of truth in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would change us through your word, God, that you would lead all of us to get to know you more and more and that you would just change our lives. Lord, help all of our personal preferences and things that we wish were true or wish were different to melt away and to instead focus on you and how amazing you are and your will for our lives and to just submit ourselves to that. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.